0: Hello, and welcome to A Couple of goods, a hockey podcast. I am Walt Hickey. Uh, this week, I am joined, as always, by Neil Payne. Neil, how's it going? Hey, Walt. How's it going? Eh, pretty good. Pretty good. And we have a special guest this week. We have Jake LaHut. He's Insider's political reporter. He's a longtime hockey guy, and, uh, and we're thrilled to have him on. Jake, how's it going?
1: It is great to be speaking with two fellow hockey guys. Glad to be on. Glad to be on. Yes. yes, this is
2: our, th- uh, we're, we're truly in our element uh, with the capital H, <laughs> capital G hockey guys.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, so, Jake, you are a longtime hockey guy. Uh, How long have you been a hockey guy? And I, I notice you're wearing a jersey. Would you like to elaborate on what that jersey is? Oh, yeah.
1: Yes, yeah, so I'm wearing a uh, Detroit Red Wings jersey. My mom's from uh, Michigan, and they happened to be very, very good when I was growing up playing. I've probably been a hockey guy since I was, I mean, I've been skating since I was, like, two or three, and I guess I would, like, talk about Ice Cookie as a kid, even though my parents, like, didn't play hockey, like, maybe it was on when I was, like, watching TV as a kid, but, like, it wasn't, like, remotely encouraged, and I would just, like, wouldn't shut up about it, apparently, so, um... And then, you know, like played growing up. So I've been a hockey guy probably since like nineteen ninety like seven, ninety-eight. Um, I the probably the first hockey I like really remember was like watching college hockey around where I grew up in upstate New York. So you know Union College, who actually miraculously won a national championship a couple of years ago, is a really tiny liberal arts school, and then RPI is the other, the big one in the area. Um, and I remember the Red Wings when they won the cup in two thousand one, I think, or two thousand two. Two thousand two was the 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 big run, and like I was actually old enough yeah. to like want to stay up late and stuff. So that that's definitely like I've been an active like, NHL fan ever since then.
2: By the way, it looks like uh, number sixteen. Is that a Konstantinov jersey that uh, that it, you're rocking? It is. It
1: is. It is a bootleg Konstantinov jersey, and they left like a letter off, and I didn't realize that until <laughs> like. But it, it was. <laughs> well, it, it's really know, cheap. It's yeah, like, talked the about one. Russia, it's like, you know.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did talk about Russian hockey last week, so you know it's it's it is sometimes difficult to get all the letters right in those names. So <laughs> I know,
1: except for the la- except for the last couple, you got You got the O and the V in the press. The Should O be and okay, the V, you know? yeah. <laughs>
0: yes so you're a red wings fan uh we've talked about the red wings a couple times on a couple of goons and uh and the pervasive feeling is like man it was great for a bit it's a little bit of a slow round right now how's the season been for you
1: it's been surprisingly rough honestly uh i mean I'm definitely into the, like, rebuild consensus of trusting Steve Eiserman, who, you know, legendary players, the general manager. Uh, but I, I kind of didn't expect that it would be as bad as last season or worse. And I was kind of hoping that more of, like, the young draft picks would be playing. Um, thankfully, a lot of them are over in Europe right now and are doing, like, you know, fine. Uh, and it actually makes better sense, I think, c- because of the pandemic. But, yeah, it's been like very anxiety inducing. And then like if the Red Wings score more than two goals in a game, I'm like thrilled because that means like we're in uncharted territory here and we might have, you know, a, a win coming up. But other than that, yeah, it's it's not great.
2: <laughs> yeah, and it's really rough after what was it, 25 straight uh, playoff appearances uh, as of up until yeah. a couple years ago. Which is incredible. I mean, really, like, uh, I think that's (laughs) the longest in maybe in pro sports history, right? Like, I can't remember a team having that long of a playoff streak.
1: You know what's what's very bizarre is I'm also an Arsenal fan in soccer and they have a ve- they had a very similar record that was broken like around the same time that the Red Wings had their playoff streak and and uh, yeah it's 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 weird that they're they're both kind of like franchises with a lot of like 90s and early 2000s success who have been in like consistent decline since you know 2010 or so and no one knows how to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: it's just cycles of rebuilding uh, right. I guess eventually the red wings will have their have their day in the sun again uh i have no doubt uh, especially like uh, you know that's such a great fan base and such a you know great hockey town literally hockey town that uh you know it it doesn't seem like that you can keep them down too long and stevie why you know i just uh, i feel like that guy has so much um so much built up you know credibility with the fans and everything uh a- after his playing career that it's sort of like he could pretty much do anything like he's he's really working with house money i think at this point
1: oh it's it's like whatever like the like sports general manager version of like political capital is he just has like a <laughs> I'm out of it, like, with this fan base. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And, you know, the, the, I think it insulates him, too, right now, because the fan base generally hates Jeff Blashell, the coach. And, I. you know, even though, like... Blashell doesn't get to pick the personnel you know, completely at his disposal, but like he still gets blamed for this like historically bad team. And Iserman kind of doesn't have any of that on him because the fans just adore him so much. So hopefully it'll allow for patience and not for like terrible disappointment when it'll just like hit a wall at a couple of years of people will like lose their minds, you know? It'll be
2: Blashell's fault. Uh, even then <laughs> it'll be yeah, like yeah. long gone. He didn't develop. <laughs> he didn't de- Yeah. He didn't develop Dylan Larkin well enough. This is all
0: his fault. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so we, so this week, the topic that we're going to get into after, of course, we do team of the week and after, of course, we call out the best 0 7 player, Neil, because we're doing Oh, know, yeah. We, yeah. We need so, a number
2: seven. You might yeah. need to vamp while I, um, Maybe while I look for that. I was put on this
0: earth to vamp. All right. Uh so uh but this week we're going to be talking about Jake we have been tackling various issues in hockey. One was what's up with Russia? One was why do people dislike Mr. Bettman? One was uh, you know just yes. all these different things that that kind of come like oh trophies, which ones are the good ones. And so as a result I have been learning bit by bit more and more about a sport that is really truly wonderful. We did an episode. What is ice? You know, like what's the deal with that? That's a very cool thing. And this episode, we wanted to talk to you about um, where do hockey players come from. I have a couple theories, but we can go into it later. But something is just like well, when sea foam mixes with the sand, not on like Poseidon. Uh, creating nymphs but it's too cold is is where hockey players spring from the ground uh (laughs) other ones is it's just what canada does it's what they produce and export um but you have some experience in this uh you obviously have had a long uh relationship with uh with with the sport and so this episode we are going to learn where do hockey players come from but before we do that neil what's the team of the week Yeah, so this
2: week's team of the week, as usual, it's based on our Elo ratings that you can find at uh, GitHub. Uh, Neil Payne five uh, three eight. Check check out my repo uh, like, for all comment, things hockey.
0: Subscribe, follow the repo. Fork.
2: Fork that repo. Uh, so, so the team that added the most to its elo ratings in the past week uh, are the Washington Capitals, which is kind of fun to see hey. them uh, surging. Uh, you know, once again, they they uh, were a little uneven to start the season. Uh, certainly, playing in a bit of a, a stacked division. Uh, I think they're playing the Bruins right now as we speak. So it's sort of like it's just a, speak, a tough yeah. opponent. Every, yes, on NBC Sports Network. Uh, Shout out to our uh, friends of the pod, NBC Sports Network. May they live forever. Um, Yes, uh, soon to be RIP. Um, (laughs) But anyway, so yeah, it's a tough opponent for them every night, it it feels like. But they've uh, won three straight, uh, and uh, they're, you know, just hanging in there. Uh, Right now, uh, the the season simulation uh, that I have gives them a... uh, Let's see, uh, a 3% chance of winning the Cup, but a 70% chance of making the playoffs. And like I said, you know, a, a kind of a tough division. Islanders are coming on also in that division. Obviously, you've got the Flyers and you've got the the big bad Bruins. So, you know, it wasn't going to be an easy path for them, but they have sort of elevated themselves above the, the Penguins who are like in all kinds of disarray as usual. It feels like Sidney Crosby just got oh, sent yeah. to the COVID list, uh, adding on top of their like, Every other player on the roster is injured. It feels like so Capitals feel like they have a little bit of a leg up there, and just a dangerous team in the playoffs. You, you never really uh, you know want to write off uh, Alexander Ovechkin, uh, and they seem to be getting you know pretty decent goaltending uh, also so far this season. So that's our team of the week, Washington Capitals. Excited to see what they can do uh, going forward.
0: There we go. Alright. Now, I mean, while while we have Jake here, I did want to kind of roast you for a little bit, Neil, is that like, you know, uh, you work for a site called 538.com uh, and, <laughs> you know, to some notoriety is that even if like there's a slam dunk race, you're going to do like greater than 99.9 or like mm-hmm. less than or less 0. Than
2: 1%. 0.01. Yeah.
0: Yes, and I couldn't help but notice but on the GitHub page, again, at NeilPayment538, like, subscribe, fork, comment. Get on this, all right? It's the hot pop and social network for the people who are really plugged in. Um, on your thing, uh, you currently give the, the the Red Wings of Detroit a zero point zero percent chance of winning the Stanley Cup. Uh, you give them a zero point zero chance of making the second round. And Neil, I, I don't know if you noticed this, you give them a zero point zero chance of making the um, winning the division. Um, you are co- oh, um, no, I made him And don't mistake. forget made, of making the playoffs. They're the making only the playoffs. Team I, in the league. Only in my one thousand, in
2: my (laughs) one thousand simulations, they were the only team that didn't win the cup at least once in a thousand tries.
0: Neil, I mean, like you got you got to up that. Those are rookie numbers. (laughs) One thousand simulations. We're a couple weeks in the season, but you got to get ten thousand going on. Well, you need the hard drives. You need the RAM. Uh, well, you know, it's,
2: it's just a matter of, uh, what, what I can do while, while sipping coffee in the morning, uh, you know, running, running some stuff in the background on our, uh, you know, really, honestly, I, I just did a thousand because that's what hockey reference, um, uh, did. And the reason why I started even doing these simulations at all was because hockey reference said, okay, we're not going to do our usual season simulations, which I think use the SRS, the simple rating system until every team had played 10 games. So I was like, okay, that'll be, you know, like I'll wait like a couple weeks or whatever. And then half the league was put on COVID, uh, breaks. And I was like, it's going to be a while before we get to 10 games for every team. Also <laughs> SRS of yeah. questionable usefulness in a season in which you're really only playing divisional teams, uh, and you can't really make cross division comparisons. So uh, one day I was kind of mm-hmm. on like a bunch of zoom meetings, kind of bored i was like i'm gonna make hockey elo and so then i did that and and, and programmed those simulations and everything uh and so that that was the origin of that but you know uh because you requested it well maybe i'll do 2,000 simulations tomorrow morning and maybe the red wings will win one of those at least one maybe maybe or not
1: or not (laughs) I, mean, I will. I will
0: confess. I have a self-interest here in that the Rangers are at like a 0.1% 0. 0, 0. chance of making the final. So, um, yes. But Jake, you were saying. Sorry.
1: No, I, I was just saying this. This completely checks out. It, like, I remember, <laughs> well, actually, part of how I got in the rabbit hole of like hockey analytics was when I started reading about the Red Wings having a historically bad season last year. I'm like, okay, what do they mean by like historically bad? Like, that, like that's just like a very general term. And then they're like, well, the, when the Atlanta Thrashers were like an expansion team they were like somewhat worse than the Red Wings but other than that no one's close and I'm like oh I guess we should probably (laughs) look at these metrics and see kind of like what we're up against here and it was it was rough it was rough and you know I I I think Elo's Rocky is like incredible for this quirky season especially because like I hadn't even thought of the division issue like being you know a complete mess with no one playing anyone from the other conference level in their division like how do you do that
2: Yeah, and it's really tough. It reminds me a little bit of college football this past season where you couldn't compare teams across conferences because they never played other teams outside of their conference so it's like (laughs) how do we know how do we know the north division is not just trash apologies to all of our canadian listeners the north division is amazing Uh, but there's no way to know across uh across divisions and so that's what appealed to me about using elo was because it has this sort of longer term view of things and it takes last year's rating and regresses to the mean and you can even i didn't do this Full disclosure for all the listeners out there, but you can do fun things like if you wanted to take into account offseason activity and try to measure, you know, which teams had the biggest influx or or departure of, of talent, you can do that as well. So there's a lot that you can do with it inside of that framework that I think makes it appealing, especially in a year like this where... You know, you're really not getting like a great sense of strength of schedule uh, for for any given team. Like somebody complained to me because I wrote about the the Maple Leafs today, uh, you know, having this great hot streak that they're on and really having one of their strongest looking teams, at least on paper. We'll see what they do down the road in a long time. Uh, and somebody wrote in and was like, "Well, you know, nobody in the North plays defense, and when they face against a real team, they'll you know they won't be able to score as much." And I'm like, "Yeah, you know, that's a fair point, but we." We do have, you know, some ways to get around that and and so on and so forth. So I think the question of strength of schedule is sort of a, a much more pertinent one because you don't typically think about that in like a normal season, even though the NHL is kind of notable for having weird uh, divisional alignments anyway. Speaking of the Atlanta Thrashers, uh, when they moved to Winnipeg, they still were in the Southeast Division for a, a, at least a good like handful of years. <laughs> Winnipeg, just let that sink in. (laughs) Winnipeg was in the Southeast (laughs) for several seasons uh, before they finally rectified that. I think adding Vegas made that possible, but it's sort of like, yeah, only the NHL would do that. Um, uh, and, And see, we Talked about this on the Batman uh rant. Uh, was like this is your advantage when you don't have these geographically named divisions. Winnipeg can be in the Smythe division, nobody knows what a Smythe is, so it's fine. <laughs> like, uh, you know, <laughs> you, the you Prince don't of have Wales seems like he would everything. rule in Winnipeg, right? <laughs> yeah, the Prince of Wales, I believe, is the monarch of Winnipeg.
0: Yeah, give or take. <laughs> uh, yeah, so again, I we should go on like again, like just more stat rambles on this because I feel so. First of all, like for a while there, like when we just kicked it off and you were explaining, oh, it's so hard to do Elo this year. It's impossible to get a forecast. I was like, yeah, I mean that sucks, man. That's real hard. And then I remember that I predict the Oscars every year. And Come on, man, welcome to the party. Low lack of information, like just kind of <laughs> shooting from the hip, seeing what you can compile, trying to make it work, but not knowing until what actually happens. Like welcome to well, welcome to entertainment data journalism. Uh, but no, sports it's, uh, isn't
2: supposed to be. The- This way, Walt. (laughs) (laughs) We're all supposed to be predictable.
0: (laughs) There are rules that we have. Um, So as the team of the week, um, now let's go out to our, you know, big question is where do hockey players come from? Um, Jake, you have played hockey. Where did you come from?
1: So I come from a kind of not quite hot spot of, uh, a suburb of Schenectady, New York in the upstate area. So, I mean, think about it growing up. We were pretty fortunate with the amount of rinks around here. Like I, I already just sort of like start thinking through my head. And I can think of at least like eight or nine rinks in a region that is, you know, in the hundreds of thousands of people around the state capital of Albany. So, Uh, The biggest ones, though, you know, like kind of branching out in my state would be kids who grew up playing in Long Island for sure. Roy's really good. And just by sheer numbers there are a lot more players there than Buffalo. And then you kind of zoom out to like New England and, and America for where they come from. And there are these crazy stats that have held kind of generally true over the course of American players being in the NHL, which is that usually around like half of them come from either one of three states, which is Minnesota, Massachusetts, or Michigan, and they've kind of been, like, the the dominant American, you know, products. And also, in terms of, like, high school hockey, you know, it's Minnesota and Massachusetts have, like, kind of the closest thing to what I think would resemble most American high school sports, just because they're, like, every school has it, where elsewhere in the country, often schools are, like, combining and cobbling stuff together for a team if they do. So, internationally, zooming, like, way out, we got, obviously, Canada dominating the population of the league you know since the beginning but uh as time's gone on there's been you know really an emergence of obviously russia but you know even before then the scandinavian countries uh and really in particular sweden but finland is really good and then norway i think is not quite in the same league as those two but like then you start to account for a good portion of players in the league you know who are european and what's kind of gotten interesting lately is like i think there's like a there's a stasis for, at least, you know, in the kind of general fan consensus, like casual, if you're watching international tournament, you don't think the team's gonna be any good if they're not from like the US, one of the Scandinavian countries or Russia. But Germany, for example, has been producing a lot of like really top-end players lately. Uh the Red Wings have drafted one of them, this defenseman Moritz Seider. They kind of like took a huge gamble on uh in the draft the, last year. And people well, I guess now we're talking 20, 2019 draft, I believe this was so two years ago. And the German professional league is also home to a lot of, uh, you know, former NHL players. So, you know, you have these little kind of like random ones. Former Soviet Union countries are always interesting. Like Belarus uh, had this legendary Olympics performance where they actually beat Sweden in an elimination game. Um, And, you know, but in general, I think the powers that be are – You know, the U.S., Canada, Russia and those Scandinavian countries. And then it's kind of like pretty random after that, you know, in quick order.
2: Yeah, and just to add on to the the states, you're you're totally right. And uh, just to put some numbers on it, because uh, we we want to have uh, supporting <laughs> statistics this season. The there's a tie for the states that have produced the most points in the NHL this year. New York and Minnesota-born players have. Each created 223 points. Michigan is right behind them at 213. Then Massachusetts at 179. And then there's a huge drop off down to 88 points for Wisconsin and then New Jersey and Florida at 64 points. That you got 64 points out of those Florida men, uh, which is Quentin Hughes, Jacob Chikren, and Jack Hughes uh are, are yeah. the the ones there um in uh this season at least. But it's kind of interesting to think about even though know, they, the they all like, grew up
1: in Michigan, which is like, funny.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, that's the other thing, is like you can't even go <laughs> off Michigan. of necessarily birth uh birth state. Uh sometimes you have to go off of like high school. By the way, shout out to quanthockey.com is the uh site I was using for the for the states.
1: Nice. <laughs> the
0: uh so it like it seems like the the question that I kind of have, I guess, the immediate one, is there is and maybe this is wrong. There doesn't seem to be minor league hockey in as much of the way that there is minor league baseball, nor like college footballs that are conduit. What is the kind of pipeline for? I guess Americans, Canadians, because obviously the international scene is probably a bit country yeah. to country. But like, so what is the what what is the kind of pipeline that that looks like?
1: So on this continent. You know, you're basically talking. There, uh, there's kind of a main divergence, which is there is the uh, ma- what's called major junior, and if people refer to juniors in Canada, this is generally what they're talking about. And that is, you know, the, these kids who are 16 and older, uh, getting you know paid a kind of small amount of money to like basically be professional hockey players already. And then wow. you have know, the college route, which is very interesting for a number of reasons, but on the just immediate end. Um, you know, basically, if you play college hockey, uh, you're often also playing a couple years of unpaid junior hockey before that, which is a, that's really a trend that's like solidified over maybe the past like two or three decades. You know, I'd say like at the end of the 90s, early 2000s, that wasn't really a thing. And now like even Division three schools do that, which is kind of wild. Um, the farm system, though, does exist where you have the AHL, you know, one down, and then the ECHL, I guess you basically, that'd be like double A ball um, that teams can send players down to. And I mean, generally, the ECHL is like, it's not great uh, if you end up there. In terms of like your, you know, prospects of like actually making the NHL team one day, unless you're a goalie, which, you know, because you only have so many goalies on a team at a time, often there are really interesting goaltenders who end up in the ECHL, a couple of whom I've actually uh, played with. And that's like a rough and tumble league, often in like, you know, pretty decent sized cities in the south. Um, But it's, it's definitely that's that's a pretty long way from the NHL. And then you have the whole European league system which I think has been more maybe top of mind for fans this year because of the pandemic, because there are a lot of younger players who just chose to not come back overseas. And I, the, the, I forgot there's an analytics person who did like a really interesting study of like a kind of definitive ranking of which of these developmental leagues are the, are the most competitive. I remember the, one of the findings was the SHL in Sweden or the Alstom or however you pronounce it was almost on par with like, you know, the AHL, And with, like, the, you know, what we would consider, like, the next couple notches down from the NHL here, Germany has a pretty good league. Um, And then a lot of these leagues, they're more like soccer leagues where sometimes there's promotion and relegation, um, you know, or, like, a second division that teams will bounce between. And, you know, that's where it's, like, it just sprawls out so much that it's very hard, I think, unless you're a professional scout, to, like, monitor any of this stuff. But what's been interesting, I think, just to wrap up with the the junior college thing is, like, that pipeline, even for Canadian-born players, a lot more of them now are choosing to play in the NCAA, and that's kind of wild because, you know, the best professional junior teams are all in Canada, and the three big leagues are the OHL for the Ontario Hockey League, which I think is considered to be, like, the the cream of the crop, but in in any given, um, you know... These are all under uh, 21 year old players, right? So, in any given crop of an age group, the best player in junior that year may not be in the OHL, but they're generally the most consistently good. And then you have the QMJHL in Quebec and then the WHL, which is a bunch of all the other provinces basically out west. And uh, those three all have like their own almost quasi like NHL like draft. Like they draft a bunch of like 15 year olds and it's like very, very competitive. They can fight with the gloves off also. So, yeah, like you can't do any of that stuff in the NCAA. But some of these NCAA programs have such great facilities. And, you know, like they kind of have established coaches who are known for developing players well that, you know, now if you're if if you're a kind of a kid coming up in the US or Canada, there isn't necessarily a trade off to your NHL future if you want to play in college and not get paid, you know, money to play at an early age. So that's just been I think I've always really interested in kind of like the balance of power between them, because it's really always, you know. Not explicitly talked about, but more just like a draft topic, which as a Red Wings fan, you end up, you know, reading and caring a lot more about the draft than the regular season as of late. So,
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and junior hockey uh, is, is really wild. Like you mentioned that they have their own draft at like a really absurdly young age and these kids are they're going off and like you know, living with uh, oftentimes like, you know, families that will take them in and, and it's just sort of like, Oh, they're the family that one of a handful of families in town that take in the players that play for the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. And so you'll like live with, you know, random families on your own at like 15, 16 years old. Uh, And, you know, it's sort of like very early professionalization of your, your hockey life. So by the time uh, some of these kids get to the NHL when they're like 19 20, uh, 21, they've been like doing this at this, roughly this level in sort of that lifestyle, at least for, uh, a long time already. Um, which is really wild to think about. And I also love the names of the major junior teams. You know, you've got like the Peterborough, oh, so, Peets, good. so good, the, the uh, Mississauga Steelheads, the Guelph storm, uh, the Sarnia sting, obviously the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds, Sarnia which sting. is in- Spelled S-A-U-L-T. Kitchener Rangers. Kitchener Rangers. Yeah. Windsor Spitfires. The Sault Ste. Marie, by the way, spelled S-A-U-L-T. S T E period Marie, but they say Sue S O O on their Jersey. And they have these great, uh, I think Wayne Gretzky played for the Sault Ste. Marie, uh, greyhounds when he yeah. was in juniors and they have these great red, almost like the red wings a little bit, this red and white Jersey. And it's got a literal greyhound and it says Sue S O O across the front. Uh, so yeah, there, uh, it's just like a rich <laughs> history of, um, of teams there, uh, in, in that. And they go back, you know, most of them go back decades and decades. Decades and pretty much all of the top players, especially the further back you go, because basically the further back you go into hockey history, the larger share of all players in hockey were from Canada and go through that that pipeline that like you can trace back the lineage of the star players of like all of the great players from history through these like teams that still exist now uh, and, and are part of that, you know, uh, that long history.
1: The other thing which we should mention, Walt, is these teams play, like, 80 games a year, like, plus, like, playoffs, <laughs> like the NHL, whereas in, co- in college, your schedule is, like, at the most, you're playing, like, 30-some-odd games, you know, and then you make your run in the NCAA tournament. So, a lot of what you – you'll hear this is as an aside sometimes, like, you're watching a game on NBC or soon-to-perish NBC Sports, and they'll say that – Peacock, so, baby. Like, <laughs> Let's, yeah, exactly. I'm like, let, Let's say it's like a skinny, like a young, skinny 19 year old player. And they're like, well, maybe he needs to, like, you know, go to the gym more. And then inevitably, one of the commentators will be like, well, if he had gone to college, he would have had all this time to be in the weight room and they wouldn't have been traveling as much and playing as many games. And I think especially for like the Canadian, like hegemony, like side of people, there's like a respect, a begrudging one for the NCAA because they do so much more like off ice training and like studying film and stuff than, you know, in juniors, like you're just on a bus. Like you're either playing, you're on a bus or you're in your host family's house. And like, that's it. That's what they do.
2: You're on a literal (laughs) greyhound. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, and I love that though. I love the fact that those schedule links give you the opportunity to have like some really silly numbers, especially in a previous era of of uh, of offense in juniors. Like there was one year I looked this up just now. Mario Lemieux in the uh, Quebec Major oh, Junior yeah. Hockey League, he played seventy games at age eighteen for Laval, uh, which I don't even think exists anymore. He had in seventy games. Laval okay, Rocket, uh, the Voisin. Uh they they may have like oh, no, uh, yeah, changed their name. Yeah. <laughs> uh but uh th- so 70 games he scored 133 goals in 70 games. He also had 149 assists. So he had 282 points in 70 games. Uh and <laughs> that is an absolutely ridiculous season. <laughs> But only with 70 he 18 games do you get the opportunity to do that. Yes, he was 18, playing against major junior competition. Now, he didn't put up numbers that far off from that <laughs> in the actual NHL uh, within five years right. of that. Right. But that's another story.
0: Yeah. Um, I have a question. Um, is Canada okay? Is It seems like they've kind you of know? structured a society around creating hockey players
1: <laughs> <competitions. laughs> Rather than the other way around. I mean, it's it's really interesting that, like, this jumps out to you immediately because in the kind of, like, hockey journalism world, there's definitely, like, a huge discourse in Canada about, like, the abuse of players at these junior teams. And I think how, like, hockey is, like, a culture, like, accepts a lot of, like, kind of just, like, baked in, very toxic behavior that's just, like, the baseline for the, how the coach sure. should – Conduct the team and also the the billet family situation is just like wild. I mean, it's like it's like you're going on like you're, you're like an exchange student, but like you have a full time job as a professional athlete as that exchange student <laughs> that pays like kind of a minimum wage. Like and, and that's just the, the wild thing, because a couple of these kids, yeah, they're going to make it to the NHL. And they're going to do great, you know, and they can already get, like, endorsements and stuff if they're doing this thing instead of, like, in the NCAA. So, they're making money for their families. Like, that's cool. But, obviously, for everybody else, you've, like, kind of foregone having a high school education, essentially. I mean, they they say that they do, like, a school component for these teams. But, like, I've never heard anyone explain it in a way that doesn't make it sound like it's just, you know – barely happening and that you there are a lot of also because of the fighting yeah uh there's a there's another discourse in Canada about head injuries you know even as enforcers have kind of like receded from the game you can't drop the gloves and punch someone in the head repeatedly in college hockey but you can do that for like 80 games a year in juniors and there are definitely guys who like you know they need to try to fight as a just you know, a little advantage to stay in the team. So they don't get, you know, sent home or they recruit someone over them. So it's like kind of a crazy way to go about things. Um, and also just like the infrastructure for youth hockey in Canada is wild. Like I remember the first time I saw a really like top level Canadian youth hockey team play. I, I so that was in squirts. I would have been like, you know, like 10 ish years old. And, uh, A Canadian team came to play in this tournament in, like, Niagara Falls, and we saw them skating around, and they they must have been, like, you know, seven or eight-year-olds, and they could have beaten, like, our team by, like, a lot, you know, and we were, were, like, scared watching these, like, tiny children go around, and, like, we would lose (laughs) to them, you know, (laughs) and then we you know i played a couple (laughs) tournaments in canada and it's 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 like like texas high school football but like everywhere so i was in this tournament called the bell cup in ottawa and like they broadcast all the games on tv of like some sort like of these like completely random teams from you know the u.s and canada and like there were like scouts at these games they had like a post-game interview thing and we're all like you know, no one cares about hockey where we grew up and here it's just like everything. So I definitely just think the monoculture of the whole thing is like kind of nuts. And the fact that the junior system, I guess it strikes us as Americans as weird, but really we're the anomaly with the whole student athlete thing. And I think it's kind of a really interesting comparison as, as to like which is more or less exploitative, you know, because these guys are at least getting paid for all this. So it, I find it all fascinating.
0: Yeah, Neil, I saw you were nodding there for for some of the like uh part about how just the infrastructure in Canada is just that much better.
2: Yeah, um and it just makes sense given how woven into the fabric of the country hockey is. Like one of the like the hockey sweater is this uh pretty good children's book, very wonderfully illustrated book that's like a beloved Canadian children's classic that will be like the first children's book that canadian children read you know and it's like about hockey uh i think it tells you a lot about like the central place that it uh it takes in their life and we talked about this a little with the russian stuff last week that like it it was so central to canada's identity to be the best hockey team in the world and uh, th- this feeling of insecurity that the Soviets might even like remotely be on their level, w- uh, really sort of created like a, a lot of the-, the way that they approached um, international hockey, through the 70s and into the 80s and so on and so forth. So I think there's still a lot of like, I think probably a feeling of, of loss in Canada just because of the fact that, A, there are so many teams in the NHL right now that are not based in Canada, uh, and that's been that way for a while. And we talked about Bettman and his, him overseeing some Canadian teams move from Canada to the U.S., God forbid, the southern U.S., uh, the, the worst of all possible outcomes. And then also the fact that no Canadian team has won the Stanley Cup since 1993. Uh, and just the fact that Canadian players make up a smaller share comparatively of NHL players now than ever before. And you can kind of see it go down e- progressively each decade since about the 60s. Those are all things that are sort of cultural markers that show that Canada's hold on the game that is so central to their culture is is kind of eroding away which is in some ways it's a sign of the game is being opened up and more opportunities are open to to more uh, players around the world and that it's a deeper talent pool far deeper than it ever was if you think about it you know, how good could the talent pool be when it's just drawing from only the Canadian provinces and really only the like southern Canadian provinces? Uh, you're, you're not going to have as good of a um, a game as as when you open it up to the whole world. But at the same time, I do think that there is a tremendous source of pride and centrality of the game to, uh, you know, pretty much every Canadian they learn to skate <laughs> pretty much as soon as they can walk uh, in a lot of cases.
1: Yeah. yeah just I mean, like the, the, the hegemony of the Canadians and like the decline of that internationally. Uh, I'm not, did you guys get into Don Cherry in in one of the previous episodes? We have well, not. Is that were going to for you? Don Cherry. This thing is new to we, me, Neil, unless... Oh man! Well, you you could do no, a whole podcast on that, Jerry. So I, I well, don't need to cut you yeah. off well, when you're at the top end. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I was just gonna say like the Canadian, like the cultural, like the de facto culture of hockey is basically of like conservative Canada, and I think so that 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 just when that collides with like you know race or like excessive celebrations or like new like stylistic things, like literally anything, it basically becomes like. Uh, almost like a kind of like right versus left of sorts political issue in Canada, you know, and and, it got up a lot of the way, like maybe the NFL does, but definitely just like Canada being on top and like hockey being done a certain way. It's like so deeply ingrained that it's like, you know, you can't even fully appreciate it. The
0: guy who had been doing. He had been doing, he's the person who's not allowed to do broadcasts anymore because of some remarks that he made. Right. Is that, is that the guy who I'm thinking of? Yes. Got it. um It is interesting how, Coach's like, whatever, whatever the top sport is <laughs> in a country always <laughs> seems to attract that kind of either whether it's like revanchist or whether it's like just like not even conservatism, but just like a lot more injection of like you see it with soccer and soccer hooliganism in the UK, especially. And, and again, I don't know too much about the European totally. scene, but I do know that's exactly like that's where you see fans shouting racist shit at their players and things like that. And then in the US, obviously, the NFL is just far more th- of a lightning rod than like any other league, right? Uh, and and I guess it's like, it is interesting, kind of surprising, but it makes a lot of sense that in Canada that, that role is actually, that, that role does exist. It's just not in the sport that we think about a lot. It, it, it's, but it is in, in their top. Inter- that's really cool. That's interesting.
1: Yeah.
2: And it does remind me a little of like what you see in baseball sometimes, too, when it comes to the celebrations with like, you know, when players bat flip and there's like always sort of a, you know, uh, some commentator says that you're not playing the game the right way or threats of retaliation and and beanball wars. It's a little like, you know, the 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 role of uh, people in hockey that they're like, oh, you showed us up, we're going to you know commit a violent act against you or something in retaliation and because that's playing the game the right way if you don't if you have any teeth right, left, right. then you're not welcome in this game
1: <laughs> it's always like i'm sorry i was had like a, like a lamp fall over yeah it's like the cultural like vanguard of like especially if it's like the sport is like this country's like main thing i feel like that always just comes up and you know, part of what this Don Cherry guy was all about was like really like an anti uh, anti European or anti cosmopolitan view of hockey. So you know, when you have the Russians and stuff coming into the league, and they're not playing as you know rigidly, and they're they're willing to hold on to possession more, and they're really changing a lot of the, the conventions, Don Cherry would you know during his coach's corner intermission show at Hockey Night in Canada, which I guess to give for an American perspective, this would be like if Donald Trump was, like, a halftime personality on one of the networks, kind of, like, over time. Like, that's, how, like, how he started and, that's, like, got to where that's he is. That's such today. an apt—that is <laughs> like, so apt— yeah. <laughs> and he would, he would basically say like oh it didn't used to be like this these guys are all like playing too pretty and he, you know you would use a lot of euphemisms to essentially cast the European players as like more feminine you know and this is not, not really hockey this is like soccer or something and just the general soccer antipathy is another staple of like I think Canadian hockey culture that American hockey players and fans like just get by osmosis for like, they become very hostile to the sport of soccer for no apparent reason. <laughs> you know, they like, might like it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it's like, Zimmer. The, other, the other thing, because uh, I know you guys talked about Alexis Lafreniere for the, the, you know, Rangers and uh, like just, Always yeah. the place of of Quebec in the sport has been like so fascinating, you know, with different phases of Quebecois nationalism and like that becomes its own thing in the sport and with the, where players go to, you know, to play junior and where they come up th- through like, I think Lafreniere is a huge deal because like for the first time you have a Quebecois born player who's not just like, you know, in the NHL mix because that's par for the course of like being from anywhere and, you know, in, in Canada, especially those two provinces But, like, to have Lafreniere be potentially a superstar is a huge deal for that, you know, province. And I think, like, you know, every corner of the hockey development, you know, ladder has, like, these tertiary tensions that are, like, somewhat geopolitical or something. So you you find it everywhere in Europe, too. But, yeah, it's just, like, kind of the tip of the iceberg.
2: Yeah, and the flip side of that would be the Eric Lindros, uh, Quebec Nordiques. Affair where he was a not not a French speaking Canadian prospect and probably billed as the greatest player since Gretzky or since Lemieux, I guess, uh, at that time in the mid nineties. And he was drafted by Quebec and refused to play for them. And there was a lot of I think ultimately it was a he says that it was about not wanting to play for the owner that they had, uh, and they the team ended up moving within a few years of that anyway. But it was interpreted widely by the whole province of Quebec that it was sort of this anti francophone anti-Quebecois, um, you know, stance that this this uh, kid from Ontario was taking, and that inflamed all of the usual secessionistic, you know, all, all of this um, uh, independence movement and all of this in Quebec. That it, I, don't, I don't think that we as Americans necessarily really fully understand all of the different kind of cultural implications of that, and that is a big backdrop for hockey because there is a team in Quebec the Montreal Canadiens who have won more Stanley cups than any team in the history of hockey by far. And so I think that that is definitely like woven into the long historical fabric of, of the sport as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah
0: this is very fast so like again like we sometimes when we're talking about hockey we veer back into things that i know about and like the politics <laughs> of quebec is like, like i uh, i've like there's a great museum in quebec that i went to i think twice uh point of collier that basically it's over the original site of montreal um yeah and it's just it's a deeply cool montreal history museum but like kind of like as an american visiting you can just almost like see the like the tension seeping through at times it's just like there was an informational video about like oh here's the history of montreal let's go through the 60s and like it was very <laughs> uh, like compelling to watch at times but um that's so interesting that there is that tension because it does like that's the kind of thing that you don't really see from the outside looking in i guess but um outside of, we've talked a lot about canada but you did go into a little bit about the ncaa and i'm actually really interested in like what's the alabama of the NCAA, like what Alabama is for football. What's that for? Like, what, what's the, what's the good ho- college hockey
1: scene? this so honestly like if you if if you're getting into hockey and you only want to be a college hockey fan there is like plenty of like great stuff here i think like historically i'm interested in your thoughts Daniel. i think minnesota is kind of like the gold standard program um the the, the equivalent of the heisman in hockey is called the hobie baker award and like minnesota is like dominated that award over you know over many many decades i think in general the top um top college programs are a little some expected some unexpected because you know a bunch of conferences like don't have them the ivy league conference is part of this thing called the ecac with a bunch of schools like i mentioned earlier union rpi so i'd say you know minnesota is a legendary program michigan has always been really good and then you go to boston and boston college and boston university that's a huge rivalry and they've had like you know particularly bc has had like long periods of dominance north dakota is, like, even – I'm not sure if they're maybe, like, a kind of a, a Clemson because they're not really a Johnny-come lately. Like, they've been good for a really long time, too. <laughs> I mean, and, like, North Dakota, like, in terms of NHL players, has an incredible record there. And then it's kind of, like, dispersed, and you have sort of, like, you know, newcomers. Like, the Big Ten only formally became a college hockey conference a couple of years ago. So that's been an interesting realignment that I think has actually kind of, like, left the, uh, the actual, like, the national – tournament a little interesting because before there were kind of like uh your dominant conferences were the hockey east which is where the boston area teams and like northeastern and providence they all play and then you had these two conferences in the west and in the central that were really good and that was basically like the anchor of the sport but now it's it's a little more up in the air and like penn state for example has a program recently putting a lot of money into it and they've been contenders in the ncaa tournament after only being a club hockey team like 10 years ago. So, Neil, you know, I'm curious, who, who do you think is like the, the top dog?
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think you're totally on the money, especially about like, yeah, it's such a weird mix between teams that you would expect. So Michigan, for instance, I think has the all-time most Frozen Four championships of any team which is not out of keeping with their performance in football or basketball over the years. Mm-hmm. Wisconsin is right up there. Uh, Minnesota, like you mentioned. Boston College, uh, you know that great rivalry uh, in, in Boston. Michigan State also, I think especially when I was growing up in the 90s, I remember them being uh, a big uh, program. So you're sort of like, oh, that's interesting. Well, those are like power conference teams from other sports. Then, it, like you said, North Dakota is a strong player. Denver is... Is a strong player. Uh, you you have Boston <laughs> yeah. University, which doesn't really have much of a presence in other sports. They're f- dominant in in college hockey. You have Michigan Tech. Not ma- Michigan Tech has won uh, I think as many championships <laughs> as Michigan State. Uh, Maine, uh, who was the Whoa. alma mater of the great Paul Kariya, uh, is is one of the other ones oh, in yeah. there. Lake Superior State, Colorado College, Cornell actually has a great hockey program. Uh, oh, legend. And and so I was it's really like now. I was.
1: I think it was a little unfair of them.
2: Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting mix of teams that are known for their sports, and then teams that are known basically specifically for their hockey. RPI is a great example too. It's sort of like. Rensselaer Polytechnic. Like I, I cannot name a time that they went to <laughs> other. You know, call it. Like, did they kid? Uh, did they make the NCAA tournament at any point? I don't think so in in basketball. But uh, they, they're like an elite college hockey program so i I think um it's it's fun to think about those and yeah i don't know who the like what the state of you know uh total dominance is right now like minnesota i think won the last uh frozen four i don't think there was one last year because of the um the pandemic uh and we've also had like
1: weirdly it's been like the real like powerhouse the last couple years
2: yeah, exactly, um, and and so that is a weird. Yeah, it's Minnesota Duluth, not even not even uh, the Golden Gophers uh, that that we know from the f- from the basketball and football world. So yeah, it's just a really weird um, uh, group of teams. But I I loved the fact growing up that like so you learn the teams that are really good in basketball and football kind of by osmosis. Especially me, I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, so it's sort of like the the mecca of college athletics, uh, you know, uh, always there. And yeah. so learning hockey, uh, which I did starting around like 1993, 94, really, because like, I picked up a stray copy of NHL 94 uh, for the PC. And I, uh, you know, started watching it on TV, because it was actually on a national TV contract at that time. And we were about to get a team. R.I.P. the Thrashers. I'm not mad at you, Winnipeg. Uh, go Jets. Uh, but uh, you know, it was it was interesting to sort of relearn and almost learn from scratch the teams that were good in something like college hockey or in the major juniors because you always learned about the the big prospects and where they were coming from. So for me, I think that was kind of the appeal. It was like this whole new world of sport that nobody, none of my classmates really, or nobody, uh, you know, when I was super young, talked about and it was just it was like my own you know I could kind of make it that and and I think that the learning like oh you know Lake Superior State and St. Cloud State and like all these places they're good at hockey I've never heard of these places it's sort of like another kind of cool little like almost hipstery aspect of like oh yeah well you've heard of Michigan but I know Michigan Tech or whatever
0: (laughs) (laughs) It is clever because like a lot of schools try to use college athletics to stand out. Like appearance in the March Madness tournament can be very big for schools that have made it. I wouldn't know anything about that, but the schools that like potentially use college athletics as a way to break in and get notoriety. It seems like the, like you've mentioned a couple hockey programs that just kind of uh, appeared out of nowhere. How hard is it? Like, I guess the next kind of, and we can kind of wrap up on it is like, Hockey prospects. How like how do you build an organization and build a team from these constituent parts that we've been talking about?
1: Yeah, so the so the technical definition of a prospect is like you have been either drafted by a team or you have like some sort of contractual you know arrangement with them, but you're not like a rookie in the NHL yet. And the NHL draft is interesting because unlike. You know, uh, with the NFL or the NBA, there's really no like declaring for the draft because you can be drafted by a team and continue doing your thing, playing like in Europe or playing for your college. And I think like you're good for like, is it what is it? Neil, is it three years, four years after you're drafted that they have the right? That's right. Yeah.
2: Right. Yeah, exactly. And and I was just looking at this the other day when it came to um, teams entering this a while back, but it's a good example of this, of when the WHA got merged into the NHL there were teams that sort of like drafted players that already were in the WHA just sort of on a, uh, on the off chance that they, they merged into the NHL. And then it was like, Oh, I've got good news for you, Mark Messier or whoever. It's like, this team has your rights. You've literally never spoken to them. You did not know that they did this, but they have your draft <laughs> rights and they've had them for like five <laughs> years now. Congratulations. You're going to this team or you have to work out a deal or something like that. So it's a little bit better now. Right. Uh, I, I think it's fewer years that they have control over your rights, but it is kind of crazy where it's sort of like you're, you're totally right. It's not like I'm declaring for the draft and this one team can draft me, but I sort of know what I'm getting into. It's sort of like they tell you that they have your rights and then you're <laughs> just sort of like stuck with that uh, for a long time.
1: Yeah, so, like, the the consensus, like, first round, like, picks will generally attend the draft in person, and they'll get to put on the jersey and the hat. But, yeah, everybody else just, like, nervously sits at home, and, like, <laughs> you might get picked in the second round, or they might never call you, like, the whole time. And that's just, like, how it goes. And to Neil's point about, like, the old days, so my favorite player is Sergey Fedorov, and uh, – I I, I I didn't listen to the whole Rush episode, so p- pardon me, if you've been through this, but like basically how he was, um, you know, extricated from Russia and like defected to come to the NHL. But before all that happened, the Red Wings just like decided to spend like a low level draft pick on him. Had no idea if he would ever come overseas, but just like as an off chance that he will, let's do it. And they thought they were stupid for doing at the time. Like a lot of people thought they drafted a Russian way too high. You know, whereas now it's it's very much like kind of like there's 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 a a, a Mel kuyper type figure, who uh, known as well. I guess there are two. There's Craig Button in Canada. And there's this guy Bob McKenzie, and they're kind of like the mega Mel Kuyper figures. Where like these guys know like everyone's hometown, every junior league, every college program, like you name it. They have familiarity with these guys playing in Europe, and the draft every year. I think because of The way the league has evolved so much with youth and speed, every team is always like really looking to like upgrade, you know, in the old days, I think you could draft it, maybe play a little bit in the minor leagues or whatever, and like slowly get folded in. But in the, you know, in the era of like McDavid and, you know, Austin Matthews and all these guys, teams like are hoping that if they draft a first round pick, they can like get a pretty good rookie season out of them within a year or two. And for a team like the Red Wings, who are just perpetually awful, all we do around the trade deadline every year is trade off dying assets and acc- accumulate low-level draft picks. And we just keep doing this over over time. So, like, the Red Wings, over the last three years, have drafted – Six years worth of players, like basically they've had double the amount of (laughs) you would normally have in a draft. So they have all these kids, just like all over the world, who are technically quote unquote Red Wings in waiting. And the, the goal is to just like eventually, you know, enough of them through evolution or whatever and survival of the fittest will like emerge as NHL players. But it's so spread out and it's like so international that like actually keeping tabs on these guys is like a cottage industry of like you know. Especially like the athletic, I think, does a great job of doing this kind of stuff where they'll do like player ratings at like different junctures of the season. So, yeah, it's just like it's a lot. But I mean, now the draft is like way more important, I feel, than teams used to think it was in the NHL because of the speed and stuff.
0: Yeah, I
2: yeah, love... totally agree. And oh, go ahead, Walt.
0: I just wanted to say I love this because other leagues. I realize now are cowards because their draft is a process. Their draft is an arrangement between a player and a team. And like, everybody's happy about it. A lot of it's prearranged. We all kind of know how it's going to go. We know what the interest is this is great because it's an actual draft like it's a if somebody says like by the way we're calling you up we decided it's you you get no say in the mat like they're drafting them into the art like it's like what the british did to the <laughs> sailors they picked up in port in the 1800s like it's just like well i'm sorry i, I need to be the bare bad news here but you drafted onto our organization no you don't have any questions thank you very much it's like it's like it, it, it's great i've never like this is so cool more things should happen like this neil sorry
2: <laughs> no, that, no, I think that that's apt. It's sort of like, you know, they throw you on the deck of the ship and they're like, we we hope you have a good rookie season, uh, Sailor. <laughs> uh, and I was just going to say Lafreniere is, is even like a good example of that, where in the past, yeah, he would have been brought along a lot slower. And so you wouldn't be staring at him having, what is it, five points. He's come on a little bit more recently, but I think he had one in his first 13 games and now he has five and 20. And staring at that, and there are already people that are like whispering like, is is LaFreniere a bust? Which they should not do, by the way, under any circumstances. But no, like you're child. being subjected he's, he's to that as a child, <laughs> right? Exactly. Playing among players that are like <laughs> at least ten years older than you, uh, and uh, it's it's just so much more scrutiny now. But it comes from that mindset, like you said, of um, expecting guys to just be instantly good, and it's not helping matters that yeah, the McDavid and Austin Matthews and guys like that are coming into the league and putting up you know even Eichel now uh, now he's the matter of trade speculation but you know he had a great uh, first or second year uh, whatever it was a few years ago too and so yeah the bar it just feels like it's set ever higher for you know these highly touted prospect types uh, from day 1 uh when they enter the league in a way that like in the past you know, if you were drafted pretty if you were Alex Daig or somebody like that, you'd get another chance to stick around and made in in the juniors and put up another, you know, ridiculous season that caused people to think that you were the second coming. And only then were you exposed as a horrible bust. So you did get a little extra time to pad <laughs> your your junior stats before exposing yourself.
1: Yeah. And like, so like a funny quick story, like I had a, a guy I, I played with in high school who got drafted by the Pittsburgh Penguins his senior year um, before going to play college at Union. And, you know, I mean, this guy, this guy was like one of the best players that I ever, I ever played with for sure. But it was one of those things where like he was a late round pick. And even though there was a lot of buzz about him, like before a game and he was, you know, one of our like top three best players that year. He like it wasn't like an expectation that he was going to get drafted or anything. So like it just like happened. And like we're all like really excited. It's like really cool for him. Like he got a call and like that's kind of his story. But then when he's in college, what's really interesting was like he would come play a little bit in like my men's league over the summer and play a couple games here and there. And what was really weird was like even though he's not a professional athlete yet, he could go to these uh, development camps that the Penguins would put on. For like all the players they've drafted, they kind of like, you know, basically like once or twice a year, they get them all in the same place and they have them play against each other and kind of like size them up. So he had these like Pittsburgh Penguins, you know, like pants and like gloves, all the stuff. But like the logo wasn't on in any of them because like you can't profit from it at all. So to keep any of the stuff you have to like cut off you know, the actual like penguin thing. Yeah. I mean, it was totally wild. He was, he was in this very like liminal space. And then after, after his senior year at uh, at union, he, you know, like went, went to the pros, played a little bit for the Wilkes-Barre penguins, the AHL, um, you know, unfortunately never, never made it to the, to the show, but yeah, I mean, he was like, it's just crazy to see someone who go through this like very quasi random and also like kind of cool, you know, lottery system experience. Uh, so, you know, on the bottom end of it, like these guys have a chance to make it work. And like the Red Wings as a franchise have often hit really big. Pavel Dotsuk is probably the best example of like a super, super late round draft pick. No one ever thought would be very good who ends up, you know, being a complete steal just because they invested a lot of scouting resources in Russia You know, so I think especially when you have, like, the rebuild woes going on, you can kind of, like, lose yourself in the labyrinth of, like, prospects in the draft, you know, to, like, make it all feel better. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah. Um, So we've uh, we've hit, like, an hour. Uh, But, Neil, I just realized I I, I goofed up real bad. I I, I made a big mistake. We forgot to talk about number seven. So before we wrap it up for the day you know i have i have vamped for for about 45 minutes for you so i hope that you have a number That's 7 a lot of vamping it's a lot of yeah vamping. no
2: <laughs> no, I I have culled down the list of the 324 players in NHL history who wore sweater number seven. And'll uh, I'll put this to you, Jake, uh, which of these is is your favorite or, or has the greatest sort of name impact on you when you when you hear the name? So'll I'll list off uh, the ones that I culled from it. So first of all, we've got Tim Horton coffee entrepreneur but also longtime defenseman for the uh, maple leafs Wait, rod what? gilbert of the rangers yes uh ray bork he wore number seven before he became number 77 and the reason why he changed was because of phil esposito who also wore number seven probably the best player to wear number seven chris chelios of the blackhawks he was a great number seven uh Keith Kachuk of the Winnipeg Jets, Phoenix Coyotes, and later St. Louis Blues. I believe also uh Atlanta Thrashers. Legend. But I'm yes. Great power forward. Yeah. Also gave and birth father, one to, of my favorite
1: players, Matt Kachuk.
2: Yes. One of the uh, one of the dirtiest, but in kind of a fun way players in the league uh <laughs> right now. Uh and then, of course, uh Cliff Ronning. Uh, my personal favorite number seven uh long time hall of pretty good center who was uh, you know good for about eh, 70 80 points in the heyday of the 90s uh, uh played for the vancouver canucks i believe the year they went to the stanley cup final and lost in game seven well one of the years that they did that uh so that that would be my pick this is cliff <laughs> ronning's episode uh episode
1: seven <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say Phil Esposito Esposito and coffee jumped out to me immediately, but I think Ray Bork might have to take it home just because I feel I feel like he also just revolutionized and I think kind of reappropriated seven as a potential defenseman number, which – well, this is also weird. It's kind of like soccer where, like, they're just, like, conventionally acceptable numbers for positions, and mm-hmm. it was a big deal when Ray Bork, you know, w- w- switched to 77 uh, and, like, had to – from w- his younger playing days – but I think you got to give it to Borg. I mean, Esposito, Irish, Long Islander fans, I think, you know, always get a tough shake because of how legendary that team was. And it's kind of forgotten. So I'm going to stick with Ray Borg for the, the greatest seven.
0: Wait, but Tim Hortons is really good. That play Swindle. <laughs> it's great. They got donuts. They got Timbits. They got coffee. The actual story it's of like Tim like Hortons, is tragic.
1: Want. Yeah, it's crazy. The actual like I remember when I first heard the Tim Horton story from uh, my, my parents, we were driving through Canada and they're like, yeah, he's like a real guy. And he like died. And I'm like, oh, like it wasn't just like a name made to like, you know, connote the ideal like donut and coffee homely Canada place. Like it was a real guy.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Although it is also that, like that does, especially
2: with the like signature on the sign and all that, you're just like, uh, oh, I I don't I don't know Tim Horton, but I I feel like I like the guy. Um, but yeah, he died in a car
0: crash, right?
1: Yeah, ah, that sucks. Yeah. The,
0: the name Tim Horton was like created in a laboratory to sell donuts. It's it's a good name. <laughs> I'll have to I'll have to look Very up. Very good
2: list. Canadian canadian name which makes sense because he was on the leafs and i believe he was on a captain of the leafs maybe the last leafs team to win the cup uh it would have been long enough ago for that to happen um which is to say the leafs haven't won the cup in a
0: long ass time (laughs) (laughs) all right um i think that brings us to the end this week uh jake thanks so much for coming
1: on it was a pleasure, guys. Yeah, it's, 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 I, I love this. is just a great concept for a show. I feel like <laughs> it can be applied to a variety of areas. So I'm, I'm really happy to, to be on board early. You know,
0: yeah, I'm very happy that you came on. I'm very happy that you were able to come by. Uh, we'll have you back on again uh, on a topic you're choosing if, if if Detroit comes. If hey, if I know that some. Monster has them at a zero point zero percent chance to make the playoffs. (laughs) But if they can overcome those odds just a teensy tiny bit, then I think that that (laughs) we'll have you on a couple times. But um yeah, thanks for coming. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh where can folks find uh both of you?
1: Jake? Uh, I'm on I'm on Twitter at Jake Lahut. That's a L A H U T, pronounced hut. You know, like the primitive structure. And yeah, we're insider with Walt, so all, you yeah. know, the stories there on the homepage. And uh, I do share thoughts about about hockey. Lately, it's been a lot of negativity about the Red Wings' reverse retro <laughs> jersey being unimaginative and a joke. It, but, uh, it you really know, is. It I didn't want to did. say
2: something. But it really, it's not one of the better reverse retros. It's by far the worst. I know it's they have a, I mean, they're, they're, easy, it's a <laughs> It is. <laughs> Their usual look is so good that I write it off a little bit to like, there's not that much that you can do around that, that, uh, that improves upon it. But at the same time, it's like, ah, oh, you see some of these other cool ones out there and it's like, yeah, the Red Wings yeah. kind of phoned this one in this year. I feel like. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh and then neil uh you can be found at github uh github neil Payne 538 and anywhere else any, any other lesser social networks that you can be located i mean
2: at. <laughs> you know i'm on twitter just like everybody else neil underscore pain but really it's it's just about the github
0: hell yeah uh and i'm Walt Tiki. you can find me at insider where i wrote a wonderful story about foam spam uh that i've been working on for a little bit and uh and also numlock uh and also at waltickey on twitter i have a github it's been a minute don't remember what my github is but uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh and hey thanks for listening